0: Please sit comfortably. I wanted to say a few words tonight about collective delusion. Not just individual delusion, but collective delusion. And my mind goes back to um, a conversation um, that, that I was a participant in uh, many years ago in Hawaii with my um, teacher Robert Aitken Roshi and he was commenting on um, a Japanese Zen teacher who had come out to teach in North America and he said of him he's um, he's enlightened within his own culture which was a kind of a criticism like there's some kind of awakening there Um, but he's very limited by his own cultural conditioning and hasn't transcended his own cultural um, conditioning. And what I assume by that, that he thought that this teacher was um, uh, somewhat nationalistic, um, patriarchal in his outlook on life. Um, And, uh, yes, it was kind of said as a kind of a... Criticism in a way. Um, some background to that, too, also that um, Robert Aitken was interned by the Japanese for five years during the Pacific War. <laughs> um, and he had a, I, I think he had a, a, a love hate for Japanese mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. He loved the Zen part, but there was aspects of it he couldn't stomach. Anyway, um, Robert Aitken, um, in his um, earlier years, um, uh, was a communist and uh, he had a very strong um, social justice view of looking at the world and identified with left wing politics and so on. Um, but the question stuck in, the, the statement stuck in my mind um, and it has over the years it stuck in my mind, um, but not from um, the point of view he was coming from, you know, in terms of. Um, making this critique of a, te- of a teacher from another culture because what became predominant in my mind, well, it's very easy to look as an outside looking into another culture like an anthropologist and kind of see where their blind spots are. But what are our blind spots? right? What are our cultural blind spots? And it almost seemed like there was a... A sense of superiority in what he was saying—that you know they—they got their blind spots over there—but there wasn't a questioning of what the the blind spots might be for Zen practitioners in the West, um, growing up in the kind of culture we had. So that I, I, now that I reflect on it, and I bring it to mind, that question has been rumbling around in my unconscious for years, um, wanting to examine that. And it's not so I haven't examined it before, um, but a book that I'm I'm reading, which I think I, I shared with you um, a few Dharma talks ago by um, Yival Harari, who himself is a Buddhist practitioner in the Vipassana tradition, and he's um, a really remarkable academic and, and historian who's written a book on the history of humankind. And the second book I'm reading now is about his predictions of the future based on the past, and he gives a very clear. Um, he gives some very very clear writings chapters on um, our our current Western human value system, and he points out that um, that religion and God and and so on are still there as influences on the way that we. Um, get meaning in life and so on. But really, what's taken over and is much more dominant in Western cultures is humanism, where we get our values from, and from science. And that um, he believes that humanism has become our new religion. And it influences, it's a a way of looking at the world and a value system that we just assume it's true and we don't really question it, just like people in centuries gone by just thought God exists and, and that Christianity is the true way of looking at the world. But he points out that humanism privileges human experience and human feelings and human life above everything else on the earth. You know, we certainly do it above animals or the environment and so on. And that what's implicit in that is... Um, we have this idea that we have a soul or a self and it has free will and we choose what we want to do in our life. And so the, the, the principles of humanism is that we're individuals and the rights of the individuals are more important than anything else and we make our choices and so on in life. Now, as he points out fairly clearly, I think, is that a lot of science even has debunked a lot of those ideas. We can't find a self anywhere in the human brain. We can't find a soul. We can't find some little centre of free will that sort of tells everything else in our system what to do. None of these things seem to have any substantial real existence, and yet we believe in them. And he's not saying whether um, Humanism as right or wrong. is just saying that's kind of our new religion, you know? and and it gets to even more extreme forms with um, what they call um, neoliberalism, uh, where where like the individuality is worshipped, really, you know, and our decisions, by, and our feelings have become um, paramount in our experience that we have to listen to to make decisions on, and. Um, that's, that's our cultural context in which we live. What might be our collective delusions that we all have within our own culture rather than just looking at other cultures? You look at Japanese culture and anyone who's lived in Japan um, for some time will see how much they so naturally and consciously conform to a group and it's confronting for Westerners often when you go there to see how easily they do it. And, and they see us as being very individualistic and standoffish and um, um, having reservations about joining in and, and losing our individuality and so on. So it depends which cultural outlook you take. You know, is the group paramount or is the individual paramount? They're just human values. They're just human constructions about what is right and wrong. And um, there would be an argument that while there's a lot of good things that come with humanism, like with human rights and so on, uh, that it also leads to a somewhat very um, narcissistic way of being in the world. And you've heard me talk about that, and there's many books written about how um, Western culture is becoming more narcissistic. So there's a downside to it as well. And... Um if meditation practices, like particularly with um, the secularization of meditation into secular mindfulness, that's an example of how something which tended to be a group practice, like a monastic practice, you know, people practicing together, has become an individual practice. People do it on their own, unless they come to a group like this or a meditation group. So it becomes a very individually focused group about trying to change the way I'm feeling and the way I feel about me. But it's not focused on a broader view of the world, you know, or mindfulness of others necessarily, just mindfulness of myself. So there's a whole lot of blind spots in any culture. And it's important that we... Um, we're aware, we, we try, try to be aware of where our blind spots are in our own culture and the collective delusions we take for granted, not just in other cultures. Also in um, Japanese Zen, um, in contrast to here, Zen Buddhism is very much a part of the establishment in Japan. And uh, it's very con- seen as being very conservative. And um, in Robert Aitken's day, Um, nearly all of the Zen teachers in Japan that I knew of through him um, were um, people who would identify more more with the right wing of politics. They were um, ex-military people, like um, ex-captains and officers in the Navy and the Army and CEOs, etc., in the corporate world. And by contrast, um, Zen teachers in Australia tend to be psychologists, educators, social workers, um, academics, you know, artists, etc., which identify more with left-wing politics. And particularly, like in the U.S. and Australia, um, is that now Zen is associated not with the right wing of politics, but with the left wing of politics, with kind of a socialist, feminist view of the world, and what I want to say about that is that um, there is right-wing Zen, and there's left-wing Zen, and there is Zen, right? and Zen itself is just um, a non-conceptual way of experiencing life, right? and, ex- and, and relating to life in a non-egoistic and non-violent kind of way. But to appropriate it to right-wing politics or to appropriate it to left-wing politics, it's not about Zen at all. That's just what people add on to it, just like in um, in Christianity. You know, Christianity is being used to um, validate right-wing politics and left-wing politics. It's just Christianity. Mm -hmm. And um, I think um, in the US and in Australia, that people of left-wing politics who practice then, um, somehow think I think a correction's been made. You know, they got it wrong over there because it was right. Now it's this kind of softer, more compassionate left-wing politics and so it's right now. Uh-huh. Um, but with left-wing politics also comes identity politics, which is a really corrosive um, kind of... Um, uh, distortion of human rights and so on, where people get so angry and hostile towards one another, which is not in the spirit of Zen at all. And um, so what I want to emphasise in this talk is that we all live in a, in a world of intersubjectivity, where human beings all through the ages, whether it's through religion or beliefs or whatever, have collective views that they hold that they just assume to be true. But the thing we've got to remember, as Harari points out from his Buddhist meditative experience, they're all just mental constructions of the mind. Mm -hmm. That's all. They're they're all part of the relative world. Mm -hmm. So we can choose this one, or that one, or that one. But there's no absolute truth in any of them at all. They're just constructions of the mind. Um, if you're curious at <coughs> all as to what my political views are, I used to be very much of the left wing, and now I'm not. I, I put myself in the centre somewhere because I really don't want to be part of a um, political tribalism. You know, you, you belong to this group so you believe all these different policies, or you belong to that one. So I don't see myself as belonging to the right or the left of politics. Um, Neither would I see myself as being apolitical, too, because um, politics is about decisions that affect people's lives. And so it's to do... To be apolitical is kind of like to be amoral as well, just sort of to turn your back on it. Um, and so I don't think that's necessarily an appropriate way of being in the world, either. Um, but we all should... Examine how we're unconsciously driven by um, ideologies, whatever they might be, and not necessarily confusing that with Zen practice. Zen practice is experiential. Like those two questions that I was, I was, I was um, raising um, at the beginning of meditation. And the, the, the main question is, what's really happening right now? It's experiential and it's sensory. Um, yes, we add narratives and stories to make meaning out of our experience, but Zen practice is about coming back to the pure experience as it is. When we do that, and we sooth- see through this false sense of separateness and ego that we believe is there, wisdom and compassion arises out of that sense of um, a greater, a greater. Um, sense of identity with more aspects of life. As Joko said, the ABC of practice, a bigger container. You develop a bigger container um, through which wisdom and compassion is um, expressed. But whether that's through a left-wing way or a right-wing way, well, that's up to each person to decide how 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 they interact with the world.